All right. Hello and welcome to Spring Office Hours, episode number 55, Spring Moduleth with Oliver Dotbaum. All right. We're going to have some fun today. Uh, Deshaun, this is going to be a fun little conversation. Uh, if you're just joining the show, my name is Dan Vega, Spring Developer Advocate at VMware. With me, as always, my good friend, Deshaun. Deshaun, how are you doing? I'm here. And today is a great day for many, many reasons. We just got done doing this Spring One virtual tour. And yeah, we have an exciting show, one that we've actually talked about. This is a project we've talked yeah. about a lot. So yep. yeah, I think for everybody involved, this is going to be a great one. Yeah, that was a, what an awesome day today. So if you didn't have a chance to check out the Spring One virtual tour, there are going to be replays of it over on the Spring Developer YouTube channel. So check that out. There were so many great talks today. I know this because I got to MC some of it. So I was sitting in there watching one talk and then looking over to see what was, see what else was going on. Uh, so many great talks. So I can't wait to catch the the replay myself. Um, so that should be a lot of fun. Uh, what else you got going on? We're we're doing a lot of traveling this week, aren't we? We are, uh, but I'm, I'm I'm thinking, hey guys, thank you so much for this. Uh, I'm, I'm hearing the sound is wrong and there's an echo, uh, but oh wait, now now it's fine. Okay, wonderful. Sorry huh? about that. Uh, oh. Thanks for 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 letting us know. We want to know. Like you got to help us out. So thanks. I don't but know why are. the sound. I don't know why, but the sound would be wrong. But, we're right. ready to travel. <laughs> Where are we going? Yeah. We are going to Seattle. We always do. But but this week we're in Seattle. We're going to have some fun. We're going to talk to some customers about everything spring. So that's always a good thing. Uh, I'm excited about that. So cool. Um, Yeah, I think maybe with that, we'll just get into it. I I just want to do a little backstory on this. So if you go over, you know, for everyone joining us in the live stream, thank you. If you have your questions, go ahead and put them in. We'll see if we can't get to them. Uh, Again, as Deshaun always says, if you come over his house and don't eat, that's your problem. So if you're here, ask your questions. We'll see if we can't answer them or we we can't see if our esteemed guests can help us answer them. But if you're not on the live chat and you're on the podcast, head over to springoffstars.io and take a look at all the past episodes that we've done. There's a little bit of a theme going on here over the last couple months. Uh, I've done some videos on the YouTube channel. We've done some shows here uh, on Spring Office Hours all around kind of architecture, right? Like uh, the idea is you you go to start.spring.io, that Spring Initializer is great. Like it helps you kind of bootstrap your application. You open it up in an ID and then you go, no, what? what's next? What do I do now? And there, and and one of the things I love about Spring is it it doesn't hold your hand. They're like, hey, you can pretty much do whatever you want, which is good. I mean, you could build the next great SaaS or you could shoot yourself in the foot. <laughs> doesn't matter what you want to do, right? So we've had some content around this. We talked about, you know, structuring your applications. We talked to uh, we talked to Ted. We had Ted on a couple of weeks ago uh, as a special guest and talked about kind of testing and hexagonal architecture. And so we've kind of had this theme going on. And I want to kind of bring it full circle here with 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 our guest today. So with that, I'm going to bring in Ali uh, and let him kind of introduce himself. Ali, the Spring Modulate Project Lead. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. It's pretty late here in Germany, but um, yeah, I'm still up and running for today. And awesome. uh, thanks for the invite. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Like like Deshaun said, we have been, this is a show that we've wanted to do for a while. We've been talking about Spring Module as as a project for a while. And yeah, it just hit 1.0 not too long ago, right? Spring At Spring 1, actually. Yeah, yeah. When, we, when we talked about when we're going to fit in this episode, like in all our calendars. <laughs> uh, yep, yeah. yep. Cool. So before we get into some of the spring module stuff, uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about you in, in case there's someone out there who doesn't know Ollie. But if you want to kind of give us a backstory on you and what you do, what keeps you up at night, what are you thinking about all the time? Uh, so uh, the backstory like behind me at VMware on the spring team is that I've been working at a company in Germany building spring applications primarily for quite a while over 13 years ago, and um, I started building an extension to Spring back in the days um, that picked up on an idea of like a couple of other folks, but uh, productized this into what's now known as Spring Data. So there was a, a predecessor of, or at least the repository abstraction. Um, that was something that that I built in uh, at this, this other company um, in Karlsruhe, Germany. And I got in touch with uh, the the German subsidiary of uh, SpringSource back in the days, um, and um, started in 2010 as a consultant. So I've been 
traveling mostly Central Europe, helping people uh, build spring applications. And I took the project with me. And uh, back then, spring data lead Mark Pollack at some point um, was kind of asking me, uh, do you think what you have there could be become a part of spring data? And then it's been a weekend where we basically ported the project <laughs> over. Uh, it was solidly built for JPA back in the days. And we uh, split apart the non-JPA parts from the JPA ones. And then on top of the non-JPA ones, we built the uh, Spring Data MongoDB repository abstraction. So we're kind of taking this for a spin and seeing whether that would work for other um, stores. And um, that's been in 2011 or something. Um, and I guess, we're, I think we're now the second most downloaded, like if you take boot and framework out of the picture, because they're literally yeah. the foundation of yeah. everything. Spring security coming next, and um, understandably as well. Uh, but then it's Spring Data JPA um, uh, running on second, third, fourth, whatever you want to, uh, however you want to count it. But it's a, become a pretty popular um, project. And um, so I've done this for, for quite a while. Um, and what's probably interesting about it is that it's never been, I've never been like strongly interested in building like sophisticated data access for a particular data store. It's been more the um, the idea of there is this repository concept, with, which is an, a concept like coined in, in the domain-driven design, the blue book from Eric, uh, Eric Evans. And it's been the idea that you have this kind of pattern and it has some architectural role in your application. And we're providing a programming model for how to implement that architectural pattern inside your application. And Spring as a technology is a great foundation to build these kind of abstractions because mm -hmm. for one, it's like it provides like a lot a lot of technical help with proxying and, and transactions and what have you out of the box. But it's also very customizable. It itself has some kind of yeah, not a strong view on architectural elements, but just the presence of the stereotype annotations like controller, service, repository, it already kind of hints at like, okay, it's interested in the layering because it attaches like technical functionality to the individual layers. Um, so there is some kind of attitude towards that while not necessarily like fully... Um, like not fully embrace is probably the wrong word, but it's kind of um, you you can you can grab these things. You can make like all of your spring uh, beans components, right? So you, if you're not interested in these stereotyping um, stuff, then uh, that's fine. And um, also, Boot takes this kind of forward in terms of uh, attaching their test support for data yeah. what is it data JPA tests or whatever. Yeah, it's also attaching to the to the technical layering um, yeah. and. I mean, there is general recommendations, right? You would definitely accept that a controller would want to use a service and the service would want to use a repository. So there is some kind of unspoken, accepted kind of guideline. I don't know. Um, yeah, like don't, don't wear white after Labor Day. Yeah, sure. So that, it's, that it, there, there is something <laughs> in there, but it's not necessarily enforced and it's not right. taken to some some um, additional like or it's not a first class citizen something you have to follow uh, yeah. if you can freely ignore that if you if you want um, but coming back to the the original story my interest has always been like okay how do you how do you express architectural concepts in code and how does that help to build you more maintainable um, applications well-structured applications, applications that yeah. are yeah easy to maintain also for like people joining the team um, and them uh, needing to find out like where things are, how to move around the code base and how to change the code in a way that they can maybe add new features easily or what have you. That's kind of yeah. the, the overall picture. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious. Uh, there are a couple things unpacked from that. One is like, all right, you're working on Spring Data for a while. At what point do you start like kind of raising your hand, going, "Hey, I know we're working on this thing over here, but I, I'm really interested in this thing, and I want to start like pursuing that a little bit more." What, when does that happen? I mean, 
in the sprint team, we're fortunate enough to not be like boxed into like, here's the thing you're supposed to work on. And then that's right. what you do like all of the time. <laughs> I, I hardly, I hardly know anyone on the engineering team who's solely working on a single yeah. thing. Or like a bit of boot, a bit of framework. And there's, of mm -hmm. course, like core teams. I'm still working officially for the for the Spring Data team. I'm spending yep. quite a bit of time on like Spring Data Commons and or just helping uh, other team members to f understand why stuff has been um, for 10 years than uh, the way it, it, it has been right now. Um, but... So the, the the general interest was like there at day one. And then there was also my my consulting work in the first one and a half years. So I've been like exposed to to a customer project. Um, I've given a talk that basically advises on what Spring Modulus now kind of helps you build in 2011, 12 already. So um, I've always done this kind of stuff. Um, also because like I'm like, focusing on the German or Central European market mostly because we're, I'm speaking at conferences here, um, seen by people here and then get approached uh, by them to, oh, can you help us have a look at this piece of spring code or what have you. So I've always tried to stay in touch with like customers actually building spring applications for the sole reason that whatever they do with the framework or the ecosystem it's probably interesting to hear about this because that's the best way to get like feedback and requirements engineering or, or do requirements right. engineering some way. But because uh, my people open tickets, but this is just a tiny fraction of the of our overall users. And then yep. getting to in front of customers or having them show me what they do with with um, applications um, helps to get a feel for for where we need to move the the projects right with this with whether they are trying to, something's very hard to achieve or they do something that they build on top of spring and it, it would be interesting to support that out of the box or make yep. this like an accepted pattern or something like that so that's kind of the, the the spirit that that always drove me and that i was lucky enough by like by all of my managers that i've had uh during my time at vmware that they were kind of fine with that and often like even even um yeah encourage me to do that that's kind of yeah that that's great and it's things. probably why we attract and retain so much great talent here so yeah yeah you for me uh you talked about the patterns the accepted patterns inside of the organization so for me my my brain it kind of lines up these things hey our our organization does uh this pattern we 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 do crud rest and we're doing that and a lot of times, we talked already about start at spring.io. You don't get a whole lot of code examples in there. Mm -hmm. uh, so then this concept of accelerator came along, uh, Mark Pollock, and what he was doing, uh, this is great. So, hey, here's our pattern. Here's what we're doing. And maybe we have some code. We have an example to go a little step further. And then we're okay. kind of keep on going. What's next? This idea of not only the patterns, but making them available, being able to add them uh, and start quickly. So this is kind of where my head goes when I think there's, about. There's, there's definitely truth to that. There's like been a, like if we if let's say uh, move on from the like the early 2010s or what have you to the last like five years or so. Um, there's been like two two major things that that drove basically my development and the, which um, ultimately resulted in the in the new project. Uh, one is like the rise of microservices or. Uh, application architectures that are primarily focused on distribution, right? So you you build multiple systems to comprise an overall system. And the question of why do teams do that? What goals do they want to achieve? And whether you you definitely you strictly need distribution to achieve these goals. Um, that was one question. Um, and the other one was that companies often have uh, the urge to produce so-called reference architectures, so they 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 want to have some kind of blueprints or guidelines for how an application is supposed to be set up, structured um, when they start new new projects or what have you. So um, there was like the the um, like a request for for guidance on what to do with Spring, and 
we've actually also given that guidance. I mean, if you just watch like tons of these Spring One uh, presentations, the Spring One Tour presentations, there's always been verbally communicated recommendations on, oh, uh, you should probably use constructor injection. You, you should put your configuration classes that way. Um, recently, I've even convinced Josh to promote like using package scope more. Uh, these <laughs> kinds of things uh, that are like have been verbally communicated. They've been communicated in consulting engagements. So if you basically uh, talk to us or worked with us on a in, a in a in a support fashion in a consulting fashion, then you've got these recommendations. But it's never been like necessarily codified, or those recommendations have not been codified in a way that you could that would, you would just basically get them when you build an application. That's kind of yeah. probably a bit vague, but we're going to get there, I guess, in a in a couple of months. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, we'll get into Spring Modules in a second. I just want to touch on one more thing because your story is. I'm hearing this a lot lately. We so we 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 had a fortunately got to sit down with Spencer Gibb when we were in Detroit. And it was funny, his story was, hey, I was working on this thing. Someone at VMware, well, you know, it wasn't VMware at the time, uh, it was Pivotal probably at that time. Someone at Pivotal saw this thing that I was working on and then brought me on board to like continue working on this thing. And I'm hearing a similar story from you. Hey, I'm working on this repository pattern. Somebody sees my work and, and kind of brings me in. I'm just wondering yeah. if you have like any advice for those because most people might want to just say, hey, I got to build this resume and then apply for that job. And then the yeah. stories that I'm hearing is build in public, you know, talk about the things that you're doing at your current job. If, if you want to move up, that's probably a really good pattern to to kind of getting where you want to go right sure i mean that's the uh, the when i started the spring data team i was kind of the i think the second or third person after mark and thomas risberg i think costin was uh, still with us costin Lau now at Elasticsearch. um but when i took over the project as a project lead then i started to build like a team around it and we've always hired from the community right so um Christoph Strobel, um, like now maintainer of MongoDB, Redis, and all things native in Spring Data. Um, he worked on a Spring Data Solar project outside of the company. And that was the reason I, when we were looking for someone to work on data-related stuff, I mean, it's kind of like you look at the people who contribute. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't always work out, but it's definitely sure. something it, that 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 um, I'd recommend if you if you... Uh, like think about wanting to work for us because I mean there's there's no better way we can interact before the job basically uh, and get to know each other find out whether working together works fine and you like people from the outside also get an impression how we work and what it would be to um, to work with us. I mean, especially yeah. because we're all distributed anyway a lot of the processes are already set up that it doesn't make it big difference whether you're kind right. of external to the team uh, or internal, except the fact that you probably, if you join the team, you have like more time to, to, to spend on, on, on that piece of software, but like the processes don't really change that much. Um, right. Internal versus external. That's kind of, yeah. Cool. Um, so getting into, getting into kind of architecture, we, you know, I, I've, I, I've done a video, I've done a couple of videos lately on kind of the, the point, you know, we talked about at the top of the show, you build, you, you create a new project at start.spring.io, you're dropped into this project. And now what do you do? Because you have the freedom to kind of do whatever you want to do. And, you know, for the longest time, you just mentioned you, have been encouraging Josh to use more of more of a, a package uh, kind of uh, code architecture, right? So for the longest time, I know you've talked about this too. Is we see a lot of projects out there that are organized by layer, and by layer I mean, hey, we're putting our web code in a web package. We're putting our repositories or our data abstraction in in some type of package layer. There, what are and we've. You know, we we have talked about it at length, but in your opinion, kind of what are what are what are the cons against doing using that approach? Um, so th- there's there's nothing wrong with like having technicals or yeah technical layering 
any kind of technical structuring at some level of your code decomposition strategy, right? Mm -hmm. um, what I think is a bit misguided is to necessarily, I understand where it's coming from, but it's it's a bit misguided, is to immediately start using Java packages to establish that kind of structure because mm -hmm. packages are means of en encapsulation. And whenever it comes to technical structure, it's completely orthogonal to encapsulation, right? Because you mm -hmm. want to keep your controller with your service, with your repository. And if you tear them apart, then you have all the interesting relationships crossing those package boundaries, which means mm -hmm. you totally give up on the encapsulation feature of, of them. Uh, why You can argue that's just fine. Uh, I don't care, right? Um, because... Like if I create a new class in my IDE, then it's public anyway. So, um, which is a like a um, another thing we could we could talk about why that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah. Um, zooming out a bit again, it's like okay, what is our let's say functional architecture supposed to achieve? It's supporting the business, right? It's kind of the we we build software to support the business to um, evolve with the business. Uh, which means that you, we will very likely see new business-related feature requests coming in through the lifecycle of the application. Uh, we will less often see um, a request coming in that says, oh, let's exchange our relational persistence built with Hibernate with, let's say, MongoDB, right, or something like that. Um, so we, it's, it's, it's not like, I'm not saying it's like black or white, but yep. the one is more likely than the other. And I would like I would want to optimize to support the more likely changes than the not so likely changes. That's why I'm kind of like folk have been focusing on okay, how what can we do to actually um, express or yeah, express the functional decomposition that we've planned on our whiteboard in our event storming session or what have you, uh, that we eventually got to modeling our application and how we can actually translate that into the physical arrangement of our code base. That's kind of the, the fundamental question. And building microservices is actually one expression of that, right? You could mm -hmm. say, okay, I have my order management, I have my inventory, and I want to build those as two separate systems for whatever reasons, organizational reasons, uh, because I have teams, um, separate teams for that, and I don't want to them to kind of step on each other's toes. Um, it could also have technical reasons like scalability. Um, but at the same time, you could just come to the conclusion, hey, we just like build one thing for now yeah. and have like three different logical functional modules um, in there. And the same way you would want to uh, align your, let's say, microservices uh, with the functional domain, right. Why would you not do that in a in a in a monolithic uh, system as a first level measure? Each of the modules could then have internal structure like layering, or hexagonal um, an hexagonal arrangement with ports and adapters, or onion architecture, or what have you. But yeah. it's a second level concern. That's what I'm what I'm trying to get to. It, really. it seems so obvious when you say it like that, but then the 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 question then kind of comes in like why have we been doing it this way for so long is it is it just uh does it come from like the Ruby on Rails days where like we packaged our applications like this and it kind of spread or or is it just something that never touched that stuff. No, I mean we didn't, but I mean it was a it was a reason part of the the web kind of exploded, right? With with building kind of fast applications and and I think Spring MVC was was you know part of that kind of wave, right? So I, I think I, pieces are pulled from every kind of community, if you will. I guess I th I have two primary aspects why I think this is so predominant. One is. Uh, we're kind of used to putting files in folders, right? So that's kind of like one thing. And we put all the images in one folder, but we Great put point. all the MP3s into into a different folder. That's kind of uh, the kind of the we're just used to doing that. Uh, the other thing is that um, a lot of literature and scientific literature, the university curriculums, um, 
they have a much easier time to analyze software systems if they throw out the domain entirely, right? They can they can just like look at the technical structure because then you could literally have uh, an e-commerce system or a system for some power plant and it could still have a layered architecture, right? So it's it, it's it's the same it's it's a, it's the same pattern. We recognize a pattern and then we're inclined to repeat that. And that's what's then kind of made it into books. And that's what made it into universities. And then everyone is kind of yep. familiar with layered architecture. I mean, you can ask a second semester student about this and they would probably know that. So they come yeah. into their jobs and then they find, oh, what's the first thing they know? Oh, it's that, right? Because the, it could yeah. it can be taken from project to project to project and it's all the same. And we're kind of, I mean, as a, as human beings, we're kind of, Oh, this is here's the thing we know we're familiar with, so we try that yeah. first. Um, and everything domain related is, for one, complicated, and a second one specific, right? It, you, you'd always you'd have to kind of think about it from your particular uh, team company you're working on. Is it banking? Is it insurance? Is it what have you? So you actually have to think this through first. Um, and it's not you, that you can start with something right after you basically created the project on start.spring.io. Um, so there's a there's an entry barrier to some degree to to it to use a different kind of scheme. But um, in the long run it's it's actually worth it, I think, because you actually create more maintainable software, which yep. um, love that. Right. Yeah. So I have a, a little use case this packaged by layer and then we find out, hey, we have these common uh, DTOs, for example. And we, we pull those into a common library and then they become public classes. But now we're trying to upgrade. Now we're trying to upgrade to the latest version of Java and we're trying to upgrade to Spring Boot 3.1 and we're finding that where we thought we were getting this benefit, we're actually now stuck because there's so many people using that common library that we can't upgrade and we can't keep things consistent. So we've kind of yeah, thought that we were getting this advantage and now it's actually become more difficult. Yeah, and an analogy that I um, started to like quite a bit is that um, packaging by technical aspect is like in, assuming you're you're flat or you're in your house, you would put all the chairs in one room and all the tables <laughs> in another, and and that, that's that, that's not very useful, right? Because you need to use the table with the chair, so you need to that's put really the good. stuff. Yeah, together that, that you would want to use together. Yeah. Counter example, yeah, no. like clothing, right? You, you, you're not like putting uh, like um, a suit in a closet, right? You have your like t-shirts and socks and whatnot because you're taking them and recombine them all the time. But that's not what we do with controllers and services and repositories because we establish a, um, an arrangement and then we use that to our benefit, similar to the way we arrange furniture in a room. Um, so I'm not sure that that, that fully um, is yeah, like it I love correct. It. I'm, I'm using it from now on. So whoever gave that metaphor to you, uh, tell them thanks uh, because yeah, that one, that one firmly. Yeah, I'm going to stick that one in the back pocket. <laughs> um, so yeah, and it's the, the funny thing is if you move from like, uh, some kind of package by layer to like a package by feature. Now you start to think about all of the things that go into writing Java code too. Like, oh, maybe I shouldn't make everything public because we were taught back when we learned Java that like not everything needs to be public, right? But as soon as we got to building web applications, it's like, oh, I'll just make everything public because, like you said, everything's got to touch everything. So, um, I. Mean, they I it's it's not even a problem if you like build a, a smaller system, right? You don't you right. don't necessarily have to hide these things. But for one, I mean, we've we've been taught uh, encapsulation in like since day one in in yeah. software engineering, so that it's a good thing. Um, and uh, the other thing, um, oh my gosh, I, I I lost my 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 thought here. Uh, what do you say? coupling, yeah, I mean, software. The, oh, the other thing being that as soon as a, a piece of software grows, then or the most of the maintainability maintainability issues come from the fact that without any kind of uh, governance in a system with let's say 200,000, uh, 300,000 lines of code, I don't know, six, seven k classes, what have you, um, 
if everything can relate to everything, that creates this big ball of mud that we all uh, talk about. Mm. And the first, the, uh, because the, the relationships basically got out of control. And you can only get relationships out of control for elements that you can actually refer to. So hiding the thing right. just limits the surface of the things that can accidentally connect uh, like across like borders or what have you. Um, and it, to me, that, that, that package scope thing is just a, a, a means to reduce the surface of something so that I, I don't have to actually manage or govern these elements that I can now right. hide because by definition yeah. they cannot be accessed. That's kind of the, right. Yeah, yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about Spring Modulate now. We just talked about it in the open. Uh, Spring Modulate hit 1.0. Um, let's kind of start at the top. Like if I went over to start.spring.io, I'm building a web application. I pick web as a dependency. I pick. I see Spring Modulate there. I heard Ollie talking about it. He clearly knows what he's talking about when it comes to kind of architecture and organizing your code. What... What is that giving me out of the box? What is Spring Modulate? What is it there? What problem is it there to solve? So what it what it does is um, if you think of Spring Boot as something that gives you guidance on like a technical arrangement or solves technical aspects for you, like configuration properties, dependency management, what have you, think of Spring Modulate as kind of a, a tool to help you like functionally decomposing your application. So it helps you like setting these boundaries, putting up the fences because good fences make good neighbors, right? Um, <laughs> to, to express these parts in your code base. And then at the same time, um, having an opinion on how you should recombine these parts because they need to, like the different parts in your application need to work together. And we have an opinion on on how this is structured as well, right? So, or how this is supposed to work as well. Um, so that's kind of the the, the, the highest level picture that I, that I can give you that is then reflected in a couple of like different things in um, a logical module model that we kind of establish um, and some verification around this, uh, some testing support to bootstrap individual modules um, in isolation, which is a direct reflection of the requirement, oh, I want to test a part of my application individually, which lead mm -hmm. many teams and people to, to microservices. Um, and it's also solving a couple of issues um, that once you decompose your application and you come to the um, um, conclusion that, okay, to make them work together, I'm using events, Spring application events, for example, uh, um, then you're kind of getting into the question of um, of consistency boundaries, right? They, because they need to stay within the module as well. And then we help you with a bit of infrastructure to solve that problem, uh, the uh, solve the the um, the consistency issue with with the interaction across modules. And um, testing support is for, is available for that for that part as well because we actually recommend asynchronous interaction between the modules. But um, not sure I'm getting getting too far ahead here. No, but, no, 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 that's uh, fine. Um, and you, so we mentioned microservices earlier. Was microservices a lot to do with with kind of the inspiration for building this project? Because I gotta imagine, like, that obviously there's a place for microservices in architecture. I mean, there's a reason they exist. Oh, wait, but wait, there's wait. also been there's there's also been an overuse of them, right? Everybody, it was the gold rush of architecture. Everybody of went and said, let's I mean, let's I'm build just, everything in microservices. I'm right? Guilty of that. It, you know, <laughs> nobody lived the startup guilty. life proud founder of dozens of failed startups. And never once yeah. was it because I was over-architecting and I was trying to do all the cool stuff right. and microservice here and everybody gets a microservice. I never <laughs> yeah. did that. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm wondering if, if this is, if this is kind of like, like pulling, like reining us back in going, Hey, it is okay to build monoliths, but you know, they get complicated. Maybe this modulith monolith, uh, there's something to that. Right. I usually try to think of that the architectural decisions as a spectrum, basically, in which you could live. Whereas building a single system only, like a pure monolith, is like one of the extreme ends. 
And building a thousand systems uh, <laughs> is the extreme of uh, in the other end. And yep. actually, even both of these extremes can work uh, depending on the context, right? I mean, you've, we've all heard about Netflix's arrangement with tons of yes, services, what have you. Um, but we're not Netflix. Or most companies are not Netflix. In fact, only Netflix is Netflix. <laughs> so, um, you, so there is there is this room in the middle, right, where you where you. Um, Define, let's say, a set of five, six, seven deployment units, and then each of those have structure internally as well. So we're not kind of um, proposing Spring Modulift to be like an opponent of microservice or whatever. Uh, whatever. It's it's actually it's all it does is you build a Spring application, Spring Boot application in particular. It has some internal structure. Spring Modulith will help you to express the structure, control the structure, make sure you're, you're not kind of losing it. Whether this is the only system you build or whether that system lives in the con in, in, a, in a context with other systems, we totally don't care. It's probably a too strong word because there's a couple of features coming, especially in, in 1.1 that... Um, help you implementing um, especially the scenario where you live inside the context of, let's say, multiple other systems. Um, but we're not kind of trying to be an, an like a, a counter idea to microservices or what have you. Right. In, in fact, I mean, it's kind of you, the architectural work is usually you have this logical this logical decomposition that you would want your systems to adhere to, and then whatever kind of um, physical representation you map this to. I mean, if if there's such a thing as physical in software, but um, f that just follows the constraints that your organization, your context has, right? If if it's if you have like different separated teams, maybe even not co-located or something, one team in this country, one team in, in another country, then it might not be a bad idea to build two separate systems solely for this reason, right? Mm -hmm. And the bigger the company gets, uh, the more likely it is that you find such a scenario. If you find yourself in a startup where you have like three people building the entire system, yeah. it might just make sense that for the very same system, you choose yeah. a completely different different arrangement, right? Yeah. Um, so it's it, it, we're not kind of trying to to position ourselves in a black and white scenario here, but just help you with that. Here's my single application, whatever context it lives in. But here's how we help you to to structure it. That's the idea, I guess. Cool. So, so I guess going back to our Spring Initializer example, I go, I pick Web, I pick Spring Modulate, I have this new project. What happens next? Like, I start to like break, you know, I starting to break down my application into different domains, right? Maybe yep. your example that you had earlier, like a product or an inventory or an order. And I put these in different packages. So I have a inventory in one, uh, a product in another, uh, product in another one. What is what is Spring Modulus doing behind the scenes to kind of like you said it? It doesn't really care, but but what is it doing behind the scenes to to help us build these applications? So I guess a, a surprising answer might be by default it does nothing. Um, so you, it, there is this this uh, proposed like package structure, which is kind of take the application's root package, and every direct child package is considered the entry point into a logical application module. That's kind mm -hmm. of how we look at it. But um, from um, at runtime in your application, Spring module is like by default it doesn't do anything. Uh, and that's the the idea is that you could have for one, we don't want to be as non-invasive as possible to your actual runtime uh, arrangement. Mm -hmm. um, that said, um, what you typically do is that you um, create a test case that just uses a bit of two lines of API, basically, of Spring Modulith, that in a test, you would point it to your Spring Boot application. It from, from that application class, it would construct the logical module model following the the uh, package conventions by default, all customizable, but that's what it what it does, and it would then uh, verify uh, the arrangement structurally. So there's a couple of things built in. 
um, that these module packages do not have cyclic dependencies because architecture nice. one-on-one cyclic dependencies yeah. basically turn two things into one logically. Um, yeah. It does a couple of other things um, in terms of uh, prevents field injection. Uh-huh, it's probably one of Josh's favorite as well. Um, <laughs> That's tiny things that we kind of recommend, basically f- not forces you, but nudges you to uh, follow practices. the constructor in- injection guideline, right? Yeah. Um, for production code, that is. So uh, that's kind of that's kind of the thing. And the, the default thing, the, the kind of the, the foundation of everything, um, and it's assuming that you would, um, uh, yet you're able to um, Build or encapsulate your modules by just using package scope to hide things within a package. Um, things get a bit more interesting or more complex if you start to kind of break out of that very simplistic pattern uh, by using sub packages for the individual modules because you would want to, let's say, express a layered architecture, onion architecture in in sub-packages, because then you find yourself in the position that you need to make certain types public, which makes them public in the overall arrangement. Um, And these very same two lines of code that you've deployed in the the first place that we were just checking uh, for cyclic dependencies, basically, are now verifying that from the outside of a module, you would only refer to the root package of a logical module. so all of the sub-packages are basically uh, considered internal. Uh, this is kind of a, a bit of a reflection of, we've, we've studied all other module systems that have predated Spring Modulus, like OSGI or what have you, where you need to uh, declare explicit um, um, arrangements, basically. You need to declare a module and then tell the world that, oh, this is a package that's exported and the other packages are not exported. So we just you work with a convention by default uh, that the modules um, root package, base package, is the only package that is allowed to be referred to by other modules. Okay. Again, all customizable. You can uh, expose other types, other packages, basically elevate them to the module API um, as well. You can craft different sets of APIs that you can actively refer to by other modules. There's basically a a giant toolbox of describing this logical architecture uh, within code and using code. Um, But fundamentally, it kind of just allows you to shape a module's surface. That's how I usually uh, phrase it, by which types do you expose, which beans do you expose, which events, and, and all of that kind of stuff. We, we did have a question come in that's kind of along this line, so I figured I'd go ahead and ask it real quick. But it says, one of the challenges I face when implementing package by feature is what do I make public without repeating logic? So I, I figure you have the same problem within a module, right? Like, what do I make public so that something outside this module can go ahead and access it? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, I guess it seem, the question seems to hint at... Um uh, that at the the problem that you of course have some abstractions, some code, some base classes that you um, might have to share between modules, right? And of course you can um, declare something like a you just have a, a module that contains these shared um, classes, and the other like other modules would refer to that like a the core module. I'm very hesitant to to name it explicitly because. It often yeah. becomes like a kitchen Utils. sink. <laughs> uh, Utils, yeah. yeah. But that's, I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with that per yeah. se. It's just that everything that goes in there would probably have to be vetted twice for whether it really belongs there. Mm-hmm. But um, of course, you can have like modules and that that are shared or basically like like referred to by many other modules in there. Um, yeah. Cool. Thank you. Um, all right. So, um, I guess from a package, so package by feature, what, what, what advantages do I have from just building out a package by feature? So I come in, I create a new project without spring modulus and I just break down my application into package by feature. I have product, I have orders, I have inventory, I have customers. I kind of just package everything that way. 
What is Spring Modulus giving me on top of that? Is it a lot of the testing, the reporting, telling me what my modules look like? Am I missing anything there? I guess I'm just trying to get a better no, idea. That's, 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 that's a perfect question. So uh, I guess what, what I didn't get across really well is that this verification stuff is just one of the things that all of this enables, right? So um, with those two lines of code that basically bootstrap um, the application module model, we kind of have a like in-memory representation of our arrangement. We mm-hmm. parse dependent. I mean, to verify the dependencies between the modules, we kind of have to uh, analyze the uh, the relationships between like the indi- individual classes of those modules. Um, we use a tool called ArcUnit um, under the covers for that. It's kind of a general-purpose um, architectural description. API basically for yep. which you can basically select parts of your code base with some criteria API quote unquote not the JPA one god forbid <laughs> uh, but, and then you basically as a second step you you can define rules of how these individual parts of your application can that's awesome uh, are supposed to 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 relate to each other and in fact you can come to the conclusion that the verification aspect of spring modulith is kind of a predefined arc unit rule basically right that's With great. The code yep. that is located in this package must only access the code that's in this package so uh, we get the analysis of all of this and we build up a module model um, what we put into this is a bit more of, let's say, spring-specific knowledge. For example, um, we can identify um, classes that are returned by at bean methods uh, as being components as well, right? And then we can find references to these types uh, from other modules, and knowing that they establish a, a like a module relationship basically so there's a bit of um, spring specific smarts built into this um, and detection built into this and awesome. with that with that model we can do a lot of things um, one thing uh, that you already hinted at is that we can fi- we can actually run tests by like from that module graph from that overall module graph carving out a um, a subgraph basically mm-hmm. and only include these modules and the components residing in these modules in a test run. So the same way that at data JPA test carves out an, an horizontal slice from the application, we can actually now carve out a vertical slice from the application nice. for bootstrap for bootstrap in these applications and uh, in, in, in integration tests basically. And the the benefit of that is that um, because we we can constrain the auto configuration, the components getting to those to those vertical slices, right. is that let's say you have a team that that implements um, another module in the very same application, and there's a bug in there that prevents the application context from from bootstrapping. Um, that would turn your tests red as well, because if you add Spring Boot test, you try to, or even let's say data JPA test or what have you, it tries right. to start the overall thing basically across all the uh, all the logical modules. And mm-hmm. your test will fail if there's something wrong with the with the other modules. So you, you basically get test isolation and a much better picture of where things are nice. broken. Um, that's kind of that's kind of neat. And the um, you can uh, you can be very specific whether you want to uh, test a particular module in complete isolation, which would mean that you'd have to mock all the outgoing spring bean references, or you could basically say um, test that module and all the modules that that logically depends on, like basically oh, carve nice. out the of the of the overall graph. That's kind of that's that's the, really great. That's the idea, and the second uh, the second thing that we can derive from the module model and then we've kind of like concluded on that section is that um, as I said, we find all the spring components in there. We find all um, spring components that are exposed. We know which other spring components they, these modules refer to, uh, what configuration properties they expose, what aggregate routes they contain, like what domain events they, they expose, what domain events they listen to. And we can, uh, Turn all of this into like uh, re like usable 
documentation snippets. So for each of the modules, we can we generate an ASCII doctor table that basically lists all the interesting entry points into that nice. particular module. Because we we do some kind of like architectural analysis of the code, find the stereotypes right um, that that you've used in there, and uh, then can basically just yeah write this into an ASCII doctor table. Um, and what we also do is we create uh, plant UML diagram, component diagrams, so that you can see the relationships between the modules um, of your overall application, both like in, an, in, an, in a complete view or with each of the modules um, as the starting point. Basically, here's a module, and what other modules does that particular one just depend on? And that nicely visualized in a plant UML component or C4 um, component diagram. Awesome. So at That's the end of the day, Spring Modulate is helping us write better, more maintainable, more testable code. That's what I'm saying. That's, that's <laughs> correct. I mean, there's this, there's this and uh, the entire, um, basically, that's kind of a second chapter, really, um, which is that when you when you find yourself designing these modules, like from a type point of view, right, with hiding things and, and yep. uh, exposing things, then you make you make deliberate decisions that here's, let's say, a spring bean I want to expose. And another module comes along and uh, would then be able to call into that into that other module by just injecting the dependency, the, the bean, and then calling methods on them. Mm -hmm. um, and then you pretty quickly end up at the question of, like, consistency boundaries. Like, where does, let's say, I... Where do you stop? <laughs> exactly. I, I want to complete an order... And that completion is supposed to trigger the inventory update that would then sub subtract the stock for all mm -hmm. of the things that are ordered. So the question, and because um, Spring is so centered around the notion of dependency injection, yeah, people people's means of let, letting parts of the application interact with each other is dependency injection. So they literally yeah. default to, oh, I inject this thing over there. Uh, and then call a method on it, which ultimately, and in, in most cases, makes it part that call part of the overall uh, consistency scheme, really, mm -hmm. which is is a bit of a problem uh, because you kind of your consistency boundaries now all of a sudden span multiple modules, yeah, which might be okay in in some cases, but. Um, <clears throat> In many cases, you're better off with, let's say, event-based propagation of these kinds of things. Yep. So let's say in my order example, I would, instead of calling the inventory actively, I would just publish an event saying uh, order completed and then the inventory reacting to that, yep. uh, which unfortunately by default in Spring is a synchronous call anyway. It's just an indirection, right? The, the, mm -hmm. the event publication. Um, but there's like means in Spring Modulus to help you realizing this as an asynchronous event um, publication, uh, which solves the, the problem. I've just recently written a blog post. Maybe we can we can link to that in the, in the show, note, uh, show notes about the, the problems with, with consistency, especially in error scenarios. It's probably getting too, bit into, uh, too much into detail here. But um, what I'm trying to get to is uh, we're kind of promoting asynchronous event-based interaction between modules. Uh, there's a couple of uh, that, that solves a couple of problems, but at the same time introduces new other problems um, for which we then with Spring Modulus provide um, solutions to both for the uh, runtime execution um, of your application as well as like testing slightly becomes different as well because you're not verifying the interaction with that other thing. But, oh, when I trigger the order completion, then I expect a particular event being published and Yada yada yada. So that's kind of um, there's a quite a bit of bit of smarts in in that area of the interaction of the yeah just nicely separated modules. But um, yeah, and I gotta imagine that a really big feature of kind of going this route is like at some point you're gonna you may want to deconstruct a monolith into microservices. And if you have a well-architected application and things are separated into modules, that process is going to be a whole lot easier than it would be in the big ball of mud, right? It definitely is, and and the, the, this this kind of this focus on the event-based integration has yeah. like 
two primary drivers. One is that um, modules that interact via events are easier to test in isolation because it, I don't need the other module, or need to bootstrap the other module. Um, like let's say if I want to test the order system and that's actively invoking the inventory, I need to bootstrap or mock the inventory yeah. as well, right? Uh, if I uh, switch to event-based integration, then I can test the order system by just invoking the method, verifying that an event has been published. So um, that's kind of like one effect. Um, and the other effect is that uh, we kind of invert the dependency because like the inventory is now listening to the order module, which if you if you take this to the not extreme is probably a wrong word, but if you if you follow through, if you consistently apply this pattern, you end up with uh, logical modules that you can literally, if you decide I want to take out um, one of these modules, um, you basically literally copy the package, you create a new Spring Boot application and move that package over. And there's one thing left that you then have to do is basically translating or transferring the events from one application um, into, into another, which we were going to provide a, um, uh, a solution for in Spring Module 1.1 Waken from the events that you have published in your application anyway, let's say the order completion event that previously triggered the local inventory, you can mm -hmm. just add an annotation to that event class and then let's say add a jar that um, contains the Kafka integration, for example. You, nice. would, uh, you would then uh, get that annotated event. It's kind of selected for externalization as we describe it, right? Mm -hmm. So um, for every event publication, we kind of have this listen, this this publisher then deployed both for for Kafka, AMQP, and JMS. I think are the the implementations nice. that we ship out of the box. Um, they would basically find, oh, is this event supposed to be externalized? If so, there's a strategy that you apply, like which which topic queue or something uh, like that. This goes to, and it's transparently published to an external broker, and then can then be listened to by by that just extracted other system right so it's yeah. much easier to decom eventually decompose the system if the need arises another question similar thread but different angle go ahead we're in this uh microservice architecture we deployed a bunch of things one of the things that i i hear is hey when i'm running with uh, tomcat and i'm deploying a bunch of my microservices to the same uh, tomcat instance i get uh, a reduction in footprint i'm saving on some resources could this help me kind of uh, reduce my my CPU, my JVM footprint, if I could take a bunch of these 100 microservices and combine them logically, or, or you know, uh, there's definitely some some rules that we'd want around that, but combine them into a modular so that I could reduce the number of JVMs that I'm running in production. There's sure. a benefit. Is this something worth exploring for some use cases? I don't think I would, I would like... If if that's your goal, um, I guess you you could look into this. I don't think that it's going to be like the the it shouldn't be the primary reason to uh, like recompose basically the system into one. What's definitely the case is that the overhead of your Spring Boot like infrastructure, the container, what have you, is of course like minimized by that approach, right? Because you can basically, the same application context now serves like three different logical modules. Um, and this is this is actually, this is a conversation that has been the opposite. Hey, how come you're not containerizing your workloads? How come you're still deploying a Tomcat and then your, your war files to Tomcat? And this yeah, has sure. kind of been a conversation where like, this is the reason. If I could say, hey, uh, yeah, you've got those. And typically in that same Tomcat instance is, the the silo of the org you know it's mapped so they're they're already doing these things with yeah. these are are like and these are related and they're also doing the same kind of cheat where uh yeah they all connect to this same uh, oracle with the the multiple schemas and then we've got the distributed monolith in a different way so i mean if you if you watch your application landscape or look at your application landscape and you find yourself okay this is what we want to do and you end up doing that and it's a successful thing, then it's kind of, an, that is an indi indicated that you've over split up your system before. Yeah, yeah. Um, because 
if you if you recompose your system into a monolith mm -hmm. and do not feel any kind of organizational <laughs> problems in terms of like teams stepping right. on each other's toes or what have you, then it kind of means that you could have done this from the start, right? So it's oversplit yeah. the system, which is I I don't want to 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 let this sound negative because. Um, I mean, there's been this blog post recently about AWS kind of yes. recomposing a couple of things into one system, which then actually was still part of a microservices arrangement, right? It was they just basically recomposed a couple of systems back into into one. So we're all just learning how to like and 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 find out what works and what doesn't. So whenever I like read a blog or what have you about these kind of always oh, change our architecture from this to that, it just means that the teams now know something. Learning. Yep. Yeah. Evaluate your assumptions. Let's say to to move and to to change things and that's kind of um the right thing to do, I guess. It it it's it's not that oh I, I find out that I could recompose a couple of systems, which means I I've been done the wrong thing before yeah maybe you haven't i don't know or maybe you have and it's, it's worth correcting it's it, it's just no there's no, and no who, blame. yeah it's not as you said it's not the wrong thing you've just learned uh, a couple different ways not to do it right and now you've yeah. learned uh, a better way to do it so yeah um okay i think we're gonna start wrapping up soon i was gonna mention this but somebody in the comments already did uh, i was gonna ask you no, uh, but here's a comment here's a comment from lewis oliver when are you going to publish your book on Modulus? Uh, yeah, 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 sure. Um, and I, I've kind of, I've, I've been begging for this probably because I, I postponed the release <laughs> for quite a few, unfortunately, years right now. Um, yeah, if I knew, I'd probably uh, speak more loudly <laughs> about it. Um, it's like two thirds done. Uh, the Ooh, the, the nice. thing is, that it started as a as a, oh yeah, I'm, I'm working on this modulus uh, um, R and D thing, um, and here are a couple of other ideas that like in are kind of in that uh, located in that area, and then. Uh, we decided, oh, we make Spring Modulith uh, an experimental project, which means there's some work that needs to go into this, and I need to update the book. And then, oh, we make it non-experimental, so there's more work that I need to do. And then, of course, uh, redo a couple of things in the book. Uh, there's some new features coming in Spring Modulith, which need to be reflected in the book. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get it done this year anymore. Um, because I, there's some copy editing that has to go on later on and what what have you. Um, but it's you could just say it's coming soon. I mean, that is relative. Yeah, soon that's, is. that's been the message that I've been <laughs> traveling around with like for the last two or three years, uh, and people seem to get impatient, understandably. Yes. So, so mm -hmm. Luis, um, I, I unfortunately can't give a, a better answer. But um, if you, if you want me to phrase it politely, then. It's never been as close as it is right now. <laughs> so I like that. Great answer. <laughs> cool. Um, so uh, real quick, just to kind of close things out, Ollie, if we wanted to find out more about you, about Spring Modulith, what are some great places to learn about these things on the internet? Uh, I mean, there is the project page, so it's listed on the on the on the um, Spring Projects.spring.io. Uh, there's a GitHub. Um, a GitHub page, springgithub.com slash springprojects uh, slash spring-modulith. Um, there's a Twitter, Twix, what is it called these days? Uh, <laughs> X. X marks the spot. I don't know. The bird side. Uh, on the bird side, there's, a, there's a, um, an account <laughs> on which we um, announce releases. Um, I have a uh, an account there as well. Um, old Rotboom. Uh, o D R O T B O H M, uh, both on the bird side and on Mastodon. Uh, that's the best I can I can I can think. Really. I'll also throw in your GitHub repo. Your GitHub account uh, has a bunch of repositories in it, and I know a lot of the talks that you've done are on YouTube. So what we'll try and do is compile the list of resources that you just said. Uh, a couple of your recent talks from Spring One, and I know your GitHub account. We'll we'll see if we can't get those together. Put those in the show notes. So if you're listening to this later or watching this replay later, then you can go ahead and check that out. Um, cool. Sure. 
Ollie, this has been fun. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm, I gotta imagine we're gonna have we're gonna revisit this conversation in a few months um, after Deshaun and I can get our hands a little bit dirty and and build something real with it. So I'm looking forward to that. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been yep, a good so much for joining us. This was super incredible, super powerful. Uh, definitely has wheels spinning, and we've talked about it a lot already. So yeah, hopefully this. Uh, brings our audience and our community a little bit closer uh, to taking yep. it for a spin. On a closing note, I, I think I only mentioned this in, a, in when we chatted before the show. Uh, you, if you haven't yet, like everyone listening, watching, uh, if you haven't watched the episode with Ted, um, I think it's the last <laughs> episode. I've just mentioned to Dan that um, whenever, whenever I think about some architectural topic, and um oh no he's in the audience uh, <laughs> I, uh I, ted's I, always I, here yeah yeah that's that's great i, I was whenever when i w listened to that episode i was like thinking i'm thinking about this stuff quite a lot and whenever i struggle to find like a nice way to phrase it to explain stuff then i just hear ted on the topic and then um it's kind of like okay he said it all i don't need to add <laughs> it anymore so i definitely he go is, ahead no. He is literally giving the TED Talks. Yes. Yeah, I mean, by <laughs> definition, right? That's <laughs> kind um, Gave TED Talks cool. before it was. So we're looking cool. for Spring Boot 3.2 RC1 comes out on Thursday, and Spring Modulet 1.1 RC1 comes out on Friday. Yeah. So uh, that's How probably. How much would you love feedback from the RC good version? To close with, uh, we're following the. the we've, we've done the, the, the 1.0 release a bit out of out of band at spring one, right? Because there's like attention and we could, could throw it out, but we're going to join the, the general release train this November. Uh, so boot RC one being out on Thursday, modulate RC one, one, one RC one coming on Friday. Um, nice. And um, so we're following the GA and then basically cool. every half a year do these kind of minor releases. If I'm going to take the RC for a spin on Friday, as soon as it drops, what are the things that you want me to try? Uh, the biggest new feature is indeed the ex event externalization stuff. So basically, um, I, I think we have an example on that in the repo uh, anyway. So um, yeah, just spring application events that are, are published to to any kind of broker that you that you fancy the most uh, these days. Um, that would be the, the thing. All right. Yeah. And we think cool. we have support for Kafka. APMQ or AQMP AQ and JMS. JMS. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, Ali, Deshaun, it's been fun. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, can't wait to do this again one day. But until then, thanks everyone for joining us. We'll see you Thank later. You so much. Take care, everyone.